Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my friends Truman Whitney and Bray Beck. Welcome to the podcast. Good Thank to you. be here. These men um, live in Idaho for a short time. They're moving to D.C. They are in their mid-20s. They are return missionaries. They were married this summer. What was your wedding date? June 12th. So this is roughly, by the time this comes out, will be about two months after their wedding date. As you can imagine, they're, because they're two men married, they are gay, and they're going to tell their story as gay Latter-day Saints. And some would say, well, why are you having a podcast with two people living outside the doctrine of our church? And that's a fair question, and if you haven't listened before, I've tried to answer that. But it's because I want to help us see us as the same human family. And I want to bring all stories to you, our listeners, so that you can understand this space and perhaps this story will touch you in a way no other story has. Um, I'm not trying to create a correlated narrative. I'm just trying to let people share their stories. And then you can seek the inspiration, the, the podcasts that are helpful to you, not helpful to you, as you make your forward, if you're way forward, if you're an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint, if you're a local leader, if you're a parent. So as we prayed before, we just pray that this podcast will be helpful. We pray that you'll feel the spirit. You'll we'll pray that you'll better understand. Um, I do like Elder Cook's talk from General Conference um, last October, and he just talks about unity. Um, we can be an oasis of unity and celebrate diversity. Unity and diversity are not opposites. And so I just, there's a principle there I think he's trying to teach is that there's a great deal of diversity um, in our church community right now in society, but we can, we can create um, an ability to find unity even in the diversity. So that's what we're trying to do in today's podcast. Um, is that okay for an introduction, you guys? That's great. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I'm going to let Bray introduce himself first. Great. Yeah, well, my name's Bray Beck. <laughs> I'm 27 years old, and I was raised in Burley, Idaho, born in Twin Falls, Idaho, I should say, um, <laughs> which is relevant because that's where Truman is from. Um, but I served a mission. I went to uh, Farmington, New Mexico, um, had a great mission serving among the Navajo people. Um, and after my mission, uh, went to Utah State, studied accounting, HR, MBA, stayed there and did grad school, and then moved to New York City, lived there for two years. The pandemic kind of <laughs> interrupted that. Uh, so I've been in Idaho for the last while, um, but very thankful for that, which we'll get to later. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I grew up in the church. My family is, is very strong in the church and I, I have good feelings towards the church and, um, I'm hopeful that what we share today can, can be helpful to your listeners. And, um, I know there's been so many people, uh, you've interviewed before whose stories have been so helpful and impactful to both of us and several of our friends who've, who've uh, met with you. And we're just so excited to, to be here. It's great to have you both here, Bray. Thank you. Thank you for your mission in New Mexico, Farmington. 
Um, that's an area of the world I'd be fascinating to be speaking Navajo. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for all the people whose lives you blessed in those two years and and respect for getting an MBA and a graduate degree and having a great job. Um, Truman, will you share with our listeners a little bit about you? Sure. Um, thank you, Richard. I'm Truman Whitney. I'm 26. I was raised in Twin Falls in Kimberley, Idaho. Served a mission in the Canada-Toronto mission, speaking Farsi from 2013 until 2015. Got a bachelor degree in finance from BYU in 2018, and then moved directly to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, and just this spring, I received my JD from Harvard Law School. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to moving to Washington, D.C. in September and beginning work with a law firm there. Um, I'm so grateful to have been raised with the gospel and in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and that my family remains uh, devout members of the church, as we'll talk about maybe a little bit later. Uh, my own church membership was withdrawn by a membership council in, in March of last year. Um, but we're so grateful for this opportunity and, and just pray that the Spirit will guide our conversation so that we can say and listeners can hear the things that will be most helpful. Thanks to both of you. Um, I'm partial to Canada, Toronto. I, to be honest, listeners, when Truman said before we went live, Farsi speaking, I didn't know where that was. Just share, if there's listeners like me, talk about Farsi. Yeah, so Farsi is Persian. It's spoken in Iran, parts of Afghanistan, and areas in the Middle East. The greater Toronto area has, uh, last I recall, certainly well over 100,000 immigrants from those areas who speak Farsi as their first language. Uh, and so we usually had anywhere from four to six Farsi-speaking elders in the mission who focused on ministering to that community. And this is a question for both of you. Both spoke um, a, a, a language that was not generally spoken. <laughs> That's good English in your mission. <laughs> did talk, talk uh, Bray, you talk first, and then Truman. Did you know you were speaking Nauvoo, or did that come once you got there? No, I didn't. When I opened my call, it was when I first got to the mission and they explained if you serve on the reservation, you have the option to learn the language. And I really wanted to learn it. My first area was right in the middle of the Navajo reservation. And I was actually lucky that my trainer really wanted to learn the language as well. And then immediately after uh, he left, I trained another missionary who was waiting for his visa for Brazil. And so he would do his Portuguese study. I would do my Navajo study. And I kind of got a jump start at the beginning of my mission, uh, focusing on the language study. Then did you speak Navajo and stay in that area your whole two years? So I was, I was on the Navajo reservation for my first year. And then I was in border towns the second year. So yeah, I, I used it throughout. Don't quiz me now. <laughs> but yeah, I really loved it. Talk about Farsi, Truman. So similarly, I was my call said English speaking. I knew that there were a lot of languages spoken uh, in the Toronto mission. In my first interview with the mission president, he asked uh, me to take on the assignment of learning Farsi. I was extremely fortunate that my trainer was a native speaker. 
Um, because of the assignment, almost all of my mission, all but one transfer, was just moving between two areas right in Toronto, in the city. And that really helped me form long-term relationships, being in two wards and serving with elders, uh, many elders who spoke Cantonese, Mandarin, Korean, Spanish, Portuguese, and who tended to also remain in just a few areas long-term um, meant that relationships lasted for basically your entire mission with ward members, with uh, new friends coming to the church, and with missionaries. And that was really beneficial for me. Have you two decided which language is harder to learn? <laughs> I'd say definitely Navajo. <laughs> so that, you're conceding that. Oh, yes. So yeah. many conjugations. <laughs> Um, I'm impressed with both of your careers, um, graduate school, um, at wonderful universities and a wonderful, have you found work? It sounds like Truman's got a job in DC with the law firm. Ray, do you have work in DC? Yeah. So the last two years I was working, um, for a firm in New York city and thanks to the pandemic, they're much more flexible now with your work location. And so since Truman accepted a job in DC, they were able to let me move to our DC office and keep my same role and team. Um, our team is global, so I would be Zoom on Zoom a lot of the day from wherever I am. So it works out to be in DC. It's great. What a great time of life to be married, to be together, to be in a big metropolitan city, to have good jobs. I mean, this is a dream perhaps you've had for a while, we've had married kids living in DC and have got, enjoyed visiting them and just seeing the energy <laughs> of that city, um, their careers. So what a wonderful place to be living. Um, talk about just each of you. I'd love to know, um, our listeners are realizing there's a lot of close connections here. You both grew up in Idaho. You're both submissions at the same time. Just kind of talk about how you connected. Yeah. So, um, I guess I'll preface us reconnecting by mentioning that growing up, uh, we lived probably 30 minutes from each other and actually took piano lessons from the same teacher. And so we saw each other at recitals and sonata competitions and master classes. And we were very like well aware of who each other was. Yeah. Um, but we didn't really talk or uh, become friends. We really were just acquainted. Um, we lost touch after high school. Both of us served missions, uh, went to college old, in Utah. But How old were you when you were doing piano lessons and just sort of made this casual acquaintance? I started with that teacher when I was probably 11 or 12. And we would have been in those recitals until finishing high school. Yeah. 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 So keep talking. So, as I said, lost touch. We both went to college in Utah, but weren't acquainted at the time. Uh, both moved to the East Coast, Ray to New York for work, and me to Cambridge uh, to study. Um, and then the pandemic is really what reintroduced us to each other. Yeah, so in March of 2020, um, right when everything was beginning to shut down, I got an email from my work saying, um, work from home for the next two weeks. And so I figured I'll go back home to Idaho since uh, I would have the chance. And uh, it turned out that Truman was on spring break 
And Harvard emailed him and said, don't come back to school the rest of the semester, just stay online. So we actually both went back to Idaho within a week of each other. Um, but like Truman said, we hadn't stayed connected um, after high school. Um, it was April 16th when Truman followed me on Instagram. And I got, I was sitting at the piano and I had been moving home from New York because of the pandemic, like wasn't the most thrilling, <laughs> exciting thing. It felt like a step backward um, after graduating college and moving to the city, um, coming back home had some challenges. And I had been having a pretty rough day just that was weighing on me, like not having friends nearby, not being able to go out and do things. Um, and I was sitting at the piano that evening on April 16th when I got a no notification that Truman Whitney had followed me on Instagram. So I clicked onto it and looked at his profile and thought, oh my gosh, this is that kid from piano, from Twin. Um, so I messaged him right away and was like, is this the same Truman Whitney that I knew from piano? And he messaged back right away and we started talking. It was a Thursday and we met midway between our, our family's homes and talked for three or four hours on Saturday. And since that time, I don't think we've ever gone more than, what, maybe four days without seeing each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because everything was closed and most friends weren't around in Idaho, uh, time seemed to, to stretch. And that summer uh, was a pretty ideal setting to start a relationship uh, and pushed us to meet each other's families earlier than we otherwise would, uh, to go on dates more frequently than we otherwise would. Um, to just talk more rather than going places or doing things more than we otherwise would. Uh, and all of that really accelerated the development of our relationship. When you um, clicked on, when you added Truman, when you added Bray in April 16th of 2020, yeah. were you out? Was Bray out? Did you know he was gay? I mean, was this just a friend connection or talk about just, I'm assuming by the time you're having this four hour talk, on Saturday, your sexual orientation is <laughs> part of the discussion. Yeah, so um, I don't think I was out out on social media, but um, often sort of, uh, if you know, you know, right? That even without having clearly been out, uh, my orientation was obvious still, as was Bray's. In fact, uh, in college, a couple of times, I had come across his Facebook profile and had looked at the public profile uh, and had sort of wondered, is he, isn't he? Uh, but there was nothing obvious to say, oh, he's gay. And so I never reached out. Uh, and then when I came across his Instagram profile, by that time he had been living in New York for a little while. Uh, and even if it, there wasn't a clear coming out post, it was obvious to me that uh, he likely was gay or, or would have an interest there. Originally reaching out was just friendly. I mean, there was nobody in Idaho. Um, I think our first four-hour conversation wasn't really a date. It was just uh, getting together to talk and, and catch up, but uh, it quickly became obvious that there was something there. That's great. Thanks for just sharing some of that story. Anything, I've got some questions I want to ask you too. Anything you want to talk about before we get to that section? 
I don't think so. I think <laughs> we're happy to answer questions. <laughs> yeah, I'd love Bray to start about just growing up uh, as a gay Latter-day Saint, just your story. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I could spend hours telling this story, so I'll stick to uh, the, the details that I think may be helpful for uh, your listeners. So I grew up in the church and was pretty much the epitome of a, a good Mormon boy. Um, I was on seminary council. Um, yeah, was aspiring to go on a mission my whole life. Uh, once I finished high school, I went straight to Utah State and had planned on doing a year before my mission. But during that first semester uh, was when the age change happened. And so I decided to leave a little earlier than I had originally anticipated. Um, but in terms of me um, discovering my sexuality, I would say as a kid, I always knew that there was something there, but I couldn't put words to it. Uh, it probably wasn't until like middle school, early high school, where it really clicked like, okay, like I am experiencing quotes, same sex attraction, um, as I labeled it at the time. And at the time I just figured I don't need to worry about that until after my mission. And hopefully after my mission, I don't have to worry about it. Um, but I, yeah, didn't, I probably the, the time where I really gave the most energy to it was right after I finished high school I was a part of this touring folk band, uh, folk dancing team. I was in the band, um, but we were on this trip and one of the leaders of our group was reading this book and I just looked at the cover and it was called A Parent's Guide to Preventing Homosexuality. And at the time it just really struck me like, wait, could this have been prevented? Like, like what does this mean? And so I, I bought the book and a couple other books that I found as well, just to research. And after reading all these books, it kind of painted this, this picture and this way of, of pointing to different things in your life that may have, um, that you could kind of blame for, for being gay or, or turning out a specific way. And it didn't really offer any like constructive ways of like, here's how to move forward. Uh, and so about that same time, I, I had been researching like online, there weren't a lot of resources in 2012. Um, but I saw that there was this fireside for Evergreen International, which was this older kind of Mormon gay support type community. Um, so I went to this conference that they had, um, I snuck in right after it started and left, uh, right before it ended. But at the time it was really good for me to see that at least people were talking about it and that there, there were other people experiencing it. I would also say that during that time, uh, that first semester at Utah State before my mission, I started meeting with a therapist um, and it was kind of at, 
under the guise. My parents were in the middle of uh, a separation and, and divorce. And my reasoning to them for why I needed to see a therapist was due to like the repercussions of their divorce. But in reality, I wanted to meet with someone and talk about my sexuality and work through these things. Um, so I had an amazing therapist who really helped me uh, resolve some of the misconceptions I had from reading that that book and those other books, and also really overcome the shame that I had developed and held on to for such a long time. Um, it was such a blessing that I could do that before I left on my mission and, and really release that shame. And I think that's largely that helped me have such a great mission. My mission was the first time I was able to really develop male friendships, um, like really like deeper type male friendships. Um, and I think the stuff I had gone through leading up to that was a big part in that. Um, so my mission was great. Uh, didn't really have any issues or anything. Uh, but when I came back from my mission as many people you've interviewed talk about. Um, it's rough when you first get back from your mission, uh, whether you're gay or straight or, or something else, it, it can be a difficult time. And I started to realize that my sexuality wasn't going away. I'd kind of just put it on the back burner for a while. Um, and I started to struggle with depression and just like wondering where to go from here. Uh, at that time was when I decided to come out to my mom. When I came out to her, it was really saying, I experienced same-sex attraction. It's this trial I have, this cross I have to bear, but I'm going to marry a woman and it's going to be fine. <laughs> and she was obviously supportive of me wanting to stay in the church and then follow that path, but saddened that I, that I had to that I had struggled with that. Um, so the next year, year and a half, I was at Utah State. I was dating women, trying to make that work. And I was doing everything I was supposed to, going to the temple every week, multiple institute classes every week. And I came to this point one day, I'd been home from my mission over a year. And I got to this point where I realized why am I sinking more into this depression when I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, like everything that's supposed to bring the spirit into your life and um, make you not depressed. And, and I, that was the first time I ever considered dating guys. Um, and at the time I thought, okay, I'll experiment dating guys, but still keeping my temple recommend, like keeping all the commandments, just meeting guys in that way and going on dates. And so I started meeting some guys, um, went on some dates, and I was amazed the f this, this guy that I started dating at that time in my mind, it had been kind of this test. Like if I went out with guys and I felt super guilty or like felt a lack of the spirit, that that would be my sign that 
it's not the right path for me. But when I went on these dates, it felt like, like I was whole for the first time. Like, like so much just started to make sense. Um, and so, and, and I felt the spirit that's, that's the strangest thing. I mean, for an outside person, um, that may sound strange, but I felt so much peace in my heart at that time. Um, and I knew that there were still so many uncertainties, but I felt like I was like on the path I was supposed to be on. So that was like a high point. Um, the, the roller coaster kind of began after that, I guess I'll just say. So I was really involved in the uh, Logan Institute and I was in the Logan Institute Singers, which is like the kind of premier choir, audition choir for the Logan Institute. And right after I had started dating this guy, we had like our kickoff for the year for the Institute Singers. And our director during our kickoff fireside uh, started off his remarks and kind of explicitly said, if any of you here um, are experiencing same gender, same sex attraction, like if you're out dating people of the same sex, you're not welcome in this choir. You can be in the other non-audition choir, but you can't be in this one. And that was really like one of the first times I had such a huge cognitive dissonance because I'd been feeling so much of the spirit and so right going on dates. Um, and then hearing that from the Institute and something I cared so much about music and I was an accompanist, it's like the choir depended on me and I had auditioned. And so after kind of spiraling and, and not being able to reconcile that, um, I reached out to my mom just cause I was, struggling. And that was my first time telling her that I'd been dating guys. And she was, she was very disappointed. Uh, and, and, um, for me to hear that disappointment was, was rough as well. Um, because I've always been so close with my mom. Um, so then I, I decided that I would commit to the choir. I would stop dating um, because really I'd made that commitment and that's what I needed to do. Um, that following semester was probably the time in my life I tried the hardest to uh, serve in my calling, go to the temple all the time, read my scriptures, do institute, do everything right. Um, but I just was spiraling into more and more depression and, and struggling. And I felt this lack of the spirit in my life, probably more than, than any point in my life. Um, and so the end of that semester, Christmas time, um, I, I actually met someone who I knew had been in the choir the year before me and was also gay. Um, uh, he had been an accompanist for me for a fireside and we connected and I decided that I would ask him out and try dating again, but really just have to keep it a secret from the choir. Um, so then the next semester 
uh, we dated and I felt really good other than the fact that I was kind of living a lie with the choir. Um, but that, that whole journey led me to a place of, I knew I was on the right path dating guys because I felt so much peace in my life, um, and joy. And, um, over the next couple years during grad school at Utah State, I kept dating. Um, I, I, I got to a point as well where I started uh, distancing myself from the church more so, not attending uh, meetings as often. And really that came, a lot of it came from just being so hurt by, by the choir and feeling like I was living that lie. Uh, like that distance was healthy for me at that time. Um, so that by the time I moved to New York City, I really wasn't active in the church at all. Um, but in New York City, I kept dating and meeting people and learning so many things. And I never felt like the, the spirit like exit my life. I feel like a lot of times there's this uh, expectation or... Uh, assumption that once someone starts dating people of the same sex, it's like the spirit slowly leaves their life. And by the time they get married, like spirit is gone. And that just hasn't, hasn't been the case for me. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about this as we go. But since meeting Truman, I feel like my connection to God and uh, depth and volume of the spirit in my life has grown even more than I ever could have thought. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> hopefully not too long-winded. No, that's, these stories are so tender. For every time I listen to one of the listeners, I just, my heart just opens a little bit more. And it takes a lot of courage to share what Brace shared. And I, it's hard to do it in that short of a time. This is, you know, this is a big chapter of your life. Um, I think you did that as well as you could. And um as you made your way forward and worked through probably some pretty difficult, dark days and your story gives hope to others that there's a path forward. And I think our listeners know we're not trying to, Truman and Bray aren't trying to say, follow our path. They've been pretty clear before we went live. They're not trying to do that. Yep. Um, but I just trying to let everybody share their story. Every story is important. Every story is valued. Everybody's a child of God and has the right to have their story heard. And thank you for sharing what you shared and and mm -hmm. and all that you accomplished along the way. I sense you have great musical talents that we haven't talked about. I can <laughs> see from some of your academic credentials, you've got really good academic credentials, but you've got your multidimensional guy doing a lot of good things. Truman, share with us your story. Sure. Um, my story is very similar to so many that have been shared already on, on your podcast. Um, raised in a devout Latter-day Saint family. I'm the oldest of five children. My parents were remarkably consistent in basic religious practices, family scripture study and prayer and family home evening and fulfilling callings. Uh, we were very active. I realized that I was, uh, that I experienced attraction to men emotionally, physically, and a notable lack of attraction to women in those ways uh, at age 11. Um, I wouldn't have described myself as gay at the time, but knew that I had those attractions. 
Uh, and over the, the following two years, while I was 12 and 13, um, from observing others, realized that it wouldn't be helpful to share that part of myself, uh, either in my community and peer group or with my family and at home. Um, I threw myself into to reading as much as I could about the gospel. I enjoyed studies anyway, uh, and so read a, a ton of church history and, and doctrine and um, some scholarship related to both LGBTQ plus issues and just more broadly, uh, and was grateful that I feel like that really, first as a separate issue, sort of inoculated me against some of the other historical and doctrinal issues that at times uh, lead to, to faith crises for many friends and family I'm, I'm aware of. But also secondly, gave me a strong sense that our theology and practice are remarkably flexible um, and that there are major disagreements about um, important issues, both between leaders over time and between leaders at any particular given, uh, any particular point in time. Uh, and that sense of flexibility, I think, helped me a lot growing up. My teen years, I don't know why, I was incredibly fortunate to, to never experience some of the sadness uh, or pain, uh, depression that often seems to come along with um, being uh, a young LGBT person in the church or outside of the church. Uh, I had a very happy family life. I was able to focus on piano and organ music and studies uh, and work uh, and look towards the future. Had a pretty strong sense of sort of patience that life is long and the world is big and that it was okay if I needed to delay um, exploring my sexuality because life was good and busy, as well as a sense that sort of life is supposed to be hard in some ways. And my life in general has been so easy. Um, and so trying to focus on blessings and family and things that brought joy and areas where I could really explore and use all my time and energy. And so that was wonderful. I decided to go on a mission right out of high school. In fact, I put my Availability date is my birthday, May 4th, and got called to depart on May 8th, which was before high school graduation, before things finished. Wow. Uh, and so I went right out just four days after turning 18, had a great experience on my mission. Uh, being gay really was not an issue. I felt like I learned to love uh, in terms of friendship and charity and caring for others more on my mission than at any other time of my life. And I'm so grateful for that and for the friendships I developed with fellow missionaries and with members of the church and with others in the greater Toronto area. Uh, returned home, went to BYU. I knew what I was getting into. Um, I was drawn to BYU for a good education and a relatively safe place to, to continue to explore. Uh, and that it gave me a route to law school, which is I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what the honor code was about and um, was pretty comfortable just delaying, once again, addressing sexuality until I had finished at BYU. And so that's what I did. Uh, I wanted to get in and out and on to law school. So I did it in three years and basically just studied hard and worked. Uh, I loved, I served in the Provo City Center Temple, which I still love and miss. Uh, I attended the Temple Weekly. I loved serving uh, However, but I mean, as elders quorum president, love teaching gospel doctrine or, or instructing elders quorum classes. Um, really had a wonderful time at BYU. Um, sometimes it comes up, I would just say, uh, I don't recall any 
negative experiences with regard specifically directed towards me with regards to being LGBT there, even during that period of 20, 2015 to 18. Um, my professors, when it came up uh, at the Marriott School, did a great job of really expressing themselves as allies, as did most of my classmates. And I'm so grateful for that. Were you out at that time where they were? You were LGBTQ? Or was this just no, a general narrative? Just in general, a okay. general narrative. Yeah, I, I had not shared my feelings with anyone uh, until after I graduated and, and left BYU. I went right to um, Harvard Law School in Cambridge, Massachusetts in fall of 2018. At that time, I, I think I was sort of, um, I didn't plan to come out. And in some ways, the reality that coming out might be easier in Cambridge than going to another law school in the West um, was really a downside of going to Harvard, sort of. Um, Long term, I thought, well, just hold out till you're 30. Keep experimenting on, on the word and experimenting with what the church teaches until you're 30. You can really focus on career, focus on other interests and get good at other things. And that's fine. Um, Mid-range, I thought, well, at least finish law school before you try and deal with this. Just buckle down and focus on your studies. And then short term, the goal was you don't want this messing up your first year of law school. Just go to church and don't. Uh, don't deal with it. Um, my patriarchal blessing has aligned blessing me to be aware of Heavenly Father's hand in every part of my life. And I've always taken that seriously. I see it most in the people, the mentors and friends that uh, God has brought into my life. And I'm grateful that in the spring of 2019, so spring break of my first year of law school, uh, circumstances aligned so perfectly for me to come out and finally share with two friends uh, from the law school. And I was blown away by the relief and happiness and peace that I felt after sharing something that I had carefully, carefully hidden and stressed over uh, for more than half of my life. I'm so grateful uh, that I met those friends and that they did such a good job of receiving my coming out uh, and of staying in touch. I'm so grateful that they, uh, they came to our wedding in June uh, and their friendship means a great deal to me. Um, so that was March of 2019. I still wasn't out to parents. Uh, and basically, as soon as I felt that peace and relief, I knew I wanted to start dating and that that was the right course, that I needed to explore that before more time had passed. Um, so I, I called our ward executive secretary and set up a time to meet with the bishop um, and uh, met with my young single adult bishop in Cambridge. And he was amazingly helpful and supportive. Uh, and I started dating and told him about, you know, these are the choices I'm going to make and, and I'm going to see how it goes. Uh, and that summer, I continued to date, worked in D.C. for the summer and loved it. Uh, I came out to my parents unexpectedly, really kind of poorly on my part, on Father's Day in June of 2019. Um, that was extremely difficult for them and for my family. But at the same time, I was just blown away 
I, in high school, I remember thinking how ridiculous and silly my friends and siblings were in their early crushes and relationships in high school. I had no sense of the emotional impact that those could have. And all of a sudden experiencing that for the first time in my mid to early 20s was just so sweet to be attracted to someone and have that reciprocated is a wonderful thing. I hope most listeners have felt it uh, or will. Um, had great experiences uh, dating that summer. Started um, dating someone in particular um, and, and had great experiences. Continued to meet with my bishop when I was in Cambridge or speak with him over the phone while I was in D.C. That autumn... Um, he, for the first time, suggested uh, that, that it would be beneficial for me to visit with stake leaders as well. Uh, Richard, is it, is it all right if I talk some about my, my church discipline process? Is that? That would be great. Please do. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, I had been, I was so grateful. I, I am so grateful for my young single adult ward bishop. I had been told by... Um, friends in the stake that the stake president uh, was perhaps less sympathetic or less helpful than some stake presidents on LGBT issues. Uh, and so when I started meeting with the bishop, I just asked that he let me know beforehand if he thought it would be wise to refer me to the stake. Um, and so for the first, what, six months, we just visited. And then finally, uh, in November, mid-November of 2019, uh, he asked that I reach out. And so I scheduled a meeting with the stake president and had a, a one-on-one -on -one meeting. Uh, and I would just say to this point, I had spent a lot of time studying the handbook. I, since I was a secretary in the deacon's quorum, I have studied and um, passionately followed every change and new version of the handbook. Um, and changes both in, in 2015 that some listeners may be familiar with. And then in April of 20. Uh, 19, really, those changes in April of 19 had helped me say, okay, I can explore a little bit with some degree of, of um, safety. Uh, anyway, met with the stake president, uh, shared my story. He was loving uh, or expressed love, invited me to repent and, and not pursue a same-sex relationship, which is what I told him. I was planning to do at that time while also expressing my love and gratitude for the church and my desire to continue to participate and the fact that I continued to attend meetings every Sunday and activities. Uh, at this point, sorry, I, I, I apologize. Going back over summer of 19, without any clear instruction from the bishop, based on our conversations, I had stopped partaking of the sacrament. Uh, I let my temple recommend expire in June of 2019. Um, but I was still attending actively, both in D.C. Uh, I was living with the elders quorum president, and, and our other roommate was also an active member of the church. Um, anyway, but had stopped wearing the garment, attending the temple, some of those things, and understood the repercussions of that. Anyway, but with the stake president, November 26th of 2019, and he indicated that based on what I had shared, a, a disciplinary council would be necessary, and that the result would either be uh, excommunication or disfellowshipment based on my degree of repentance and, and re regret. Um, I was called to a disciplinary council in a letter dated January 7th of 2020. 
uh, for conduct unbecoming a member of the church based solely on what I had shared with the stake president. Uh, that disciplinary council was held on Sunday, February 9th. At 7 a.m. I went in. Uh, at that time, it was still the stake presidency and the high council. So I went into the high council room and at one end was the stake president and his two counselors, six high counselors on each side of the, the long table, and then my bishop and I at the other end. Um, and I was surprised it was scheduled. The Google uh, calendar appointment was scheduled, I think, for an hour and a half maybe. And I was surprised how long that was. But I went in and, and uh, stake president introduced why we were there uh, and asked me to share my story. And so I shared my story briefly. And then uh, those 15 brethren asked questions. And I responded to questions for over two hours that morning. And then went out to the waiting area uh, to wait for them to de deliberate and just watch the clock as they deliberated for over an hour. Um, at the end of that, I went back in uh, and they decided to take no action, which left me a member of the church in good standing. Um, to my great surprise, to my great surprise, I was and, and remained so grateful for those men, many of whom I, I greatly respect. I, I had known their names even before I went in from academia or business or politics. Uh, successful men who have better things to do with three hours on a Sunday uh, than try and figure out what's the best way to handle Truman's church membership. And yet they, they make that sacrifice to fulfill their callings. Uh, and I'm so grateful that they would take time and, and really that's an expression of love and care, I think, uh, that they would serve in that way. Um, at the end of that, uh, the state president requested that I continue to meet in council with him. Uh, and we met one-on-one -on -one again shortly thereafter. Uh, and he invited me once again to repent and, and not pursue a same-sex relationship. And I just said, you know, I've, I've thought so carefully about this for so long. Unless there's some new consideration, um, I know this is what's, what's best for me at this time. And so declined to... to uh, to change that plan, that path. Uh, and he reconvened uh, what was now a, a membership council. So in February of 2020, midway between after my, my disciplinary council and before the membership council, the handbook was updated. Excommunication became withdrawal of membership. Disfellowshipment became formal, uh, uh, formal membership restrictions and uh, a disciplinary, yeah, disciplinary council became membership council. So... Um, and that was just with, it also, uh, now membership councils only use the, uh, only involve the state presidency and not the high council in most cases, unless there's a conflict of interest or other complexity to it. Um, uh, state president, um, I think appropriately invited the members of the high council that had been at my first session to, to attend again as non-participating members of the, of the membership council, um, but that second one on, on March 1st of 2020 took uh, about five minutes. I went in and the stake president uh, announced that the, the decision was withdrawal of my membership. Um, and that was that. Um, that spring from, um, well, from, from my initial meeting with the stake president on November 26th of 2019 until the church's withdrawal of my membership on March 1st of 2020 was uh, extremely stressful. 
uh, and painful. Um, uh, in many ways, the whiplash of going in and being told the outcome will be excommunication or disfellowshipment and then having no action and then getting called back in and then sort of summarily um, having that uh, was, was in some ways difficult. At the same time, uh, the stake leaders consistently expressed love, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, just they're taking time to consider it as an expression of love. Uh, and their, their questions, their questions uh, during the initial meeting for two hours were in good faith and sincere and wanted to understand my story and perspective and why I wanted to remain a member of the church and why I thought that was the best course. Uh, and I'm grateful that they took the time to answer and uh, ask those questions and listen to my answers and to deliberate for so long. Um, yeah, yeah. Following that, I continued to date, had good experiences, and then uh, that was March 1st. And uh, I think March 22nd, I flew back to Idaho because of the pandemic. Um, I think the only other thing I would note, I don't know whether we need to discuss it, but in, in full disclosure, um, uh, following and, and, well, and leading up to membership council, I felt a profound need to be formally attached to a church or religious community. Um, and so shortly thereafter, uh, the withdrawal of membership, I, I ended up being baptized in the Episcopal Church and have found wonderful community there. Uh, and I'm so grateful for open communion there where I can worship and, and participate in that. Uh, and I'm also grateful that they have, in many cases, many parishes, we, uh, daily mass. And so can attend an LDS service on Sunday and uh, sometimes an, uh, an Episcopal service on Sunday as well, but certainly during the week. And, and so having both of those communities has been very helpful since the withdrawal of membership. Thanks for sharing that part of your story. Um, there's a lot of grace extended back to LDS leaders and a lot of just honesty about your situation. And, um, but I think you have to, I mean, I also recognize that's a painful experience to go through the whiplash. So I think I just want to validate any pain you've shared directly on the podcast or you're holding, it's a difficult process to go through. And I think you did that with integrity, honesty, it seems like you were very honest with everybody about what's going on in your life. And we could talk about membership councils for quite a while, listeners. I, I don't think it's required by the handbook. I think it's, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'll try and be really brief. I apologize for talking okay. so long. This is um, the platform to talk a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Yeah, so I continue to read uh, the handbook often, especially uh, chapter 32, which addresses church discipline. And um, 32.6.1 says, when a membership council is required, doesn't mention same-sex relations or same-sex marriage. It used to. Uh, and this is a really interesting change. In April, uh, excuse me, in November of 2015, same-sex marriage was listed as apostasy and required uh, convening a church disciplinary council. And then in April of 2019, same-sex marriage uh, was no longer categorized as apostasy and was instead categorized as serious transgression and no longer required convening a disciplinary or membership council, uh, but rather was a, a case where uh, a council may be necessary based on other factors. And I would really point out that 
that change implies that there are some circumstances in which it may not be necessary as well. Otherwise, why make the shift? It, it makes the change superfluous. Um, so a membership council may be required in cases of sexual immorality, um, which includes same-sex relations and same-sex marriage. That's 32.6.2.2. Uh, and then um, the only other case where it's relevant is, is uh, in, in, for people holding a position of authority or trust in the church or community and have serious sin that's widely known. It really could endanger others. Um, so it's not required. It may be necessary. Um, but that gives leaders leeway. And to me, the change from 2015 to 2019 implies, the important thing is that it implies that case where a council's not necessary. Um, and we could say that's when someone's inactive or isn't attending, then it's, it's unnecessary. But I think that was already covered by policy, even during that 2015, 16, 17 period, uh, by just general practice and other sections of the handbook. So it has to be something other than inactivity. And if we did take the view that it was inactivity, it leads to these terrible incentives. Um, yeah, I'll just jump in and say it's so ironic that while I was in New York City and had really gone inactive from attending church, um, my my belief stayed the same, but I, I wasn't an active member at that time. I kind of went off the radar of church leaders, um, but as a result, no one questioned my, my church membership. Um, during that same time, Truman is going to church every Sunday, speaking with his bishop frequently about where he's at on his journey dating. Um, but because he's being active and visible in the church, he's called in for disciplinary or membership council. It's it's reverse incentives. Yeah. If, if you're going to be active, you may lose your membership. But if you're going to be inactive, you may be able to keep well, it. Well, you still have your membership, right? I do. Yeah. Are you planning on keeping that? Are you planning on, you could resign? I could resign. I don't plan on doing that. I, I do still value my church membership and it pains me to, to, to know what true has had to go through in, in losing his and knowing how much he he valued and values church membership. And in my mind, it's just so unfair that, that things happened that way. And now that I'm at a point where I am attending church again, um, that true and I have the same testimony and belief in God. And when we're at church, he has these limitations that I don't. And it, yeah, it, it pains me to know that. Do you think, True, you, I think I know the answer to this, but if let's just say that membership council didn't happen and you're now married, would you have would, would you have resigned your membership? No, I don't think so. I still Why? love the gospel as taught in the church and the church itself. Um, it certainly has issues, but I love and often return to Eugene England's essay, right? Why the church is as true as the gospel. Um, and I think trying to live the gospel and practice it in a Latter-day Saint congregation is 
one of the best exercises I know of in trying to be more Christ-like and trying to build Zion. And so even though I disagree with uh, some of the church's policies, um, I think that any involvement in a group, trying to, to, to get used to living in groups, trying to, the project of building Zion involves some disagreement, involves being willing to compromise, which means on my part, compromise this and accept this condemnation, at least in the short term, for um, my marriage. And I would hope on the part of members a willingness to um, at least act in good faith that I'm doing my best. Uh, and trying not to hurt others and to welcome Bray and I into a congregation. And we're so grateful to have experienced that in our family wards in Idaho and in a family ward in Manhattan, uh, where we attend regularly and feel welcomed and loved. Got to be in that Manhattan building with hmm, my daughter. It's amazing, summer. isn't it? That temple. I just love being in that ward. Yeah. And that's a whole nother story. She took me to her YSA ward there and I was just, just a wonderful ward. And I, the Mary ward was meeting right after us and that would be your ward. But I appreciate you sharing that. Um, listeners, it's just, um, I recognize that even the handbook that you talked about, I don't want to spend tons of time on this, didn't, it required a disciplinary council, but didn't for sure even communicate the outcome. Right, in that period from twenty November 2015 until yeah. April 2019, right? It didn't require excommunication, just it that just, you have a council. A council and it, could right. have, it could have ended in any way. So right. even that door was open for membership to remain. Yeah. And obviously in this situation, I don't think, I don't, I, and Truman doesn't want me to get in the business of second guessing what was done because you're extending no, so no. much grace and I don't want to do that, but I'll just share what my thoughts are. I've always felt... I was called as a YSA bishop. My brother, who was a stake president, he just taught me a principle. He said to me, called me by my first name and said, generally, unless membership council, disciplinary council is required, it you know, it usually pushes people away. And I only use it when someone wants to fully return to activity. So that was a fascinating principle for me. So I never felt impressed to convene a membership council with an unwilling participant. Um, and it was never required in any situation I was in. And I just felt impressed that if someone, but on the other hand, in a few cases, when someone did want to fully return to full activity and they self sort of selected, that's what they felt their path was. Then it was used in a positive way to help them repent. And, but they, and I kind of involved them in the process that this is what a membership council is. Um, would this be helpful for you in the repentance process as we both have this common goal to get your temple recommended back, get you into full fellowship? And But there were some people I met that were gay and straight, not living the law of chastity, that had no immediate desire to return to the church. And I just sort of let them decide what the agenda was. I said, well, how can I help you in your life? And I didn't feel like I was selling out the church to do that. They knew that church teachings were, and I just felt if I could stay in their life as a trusted adult, I could help them in the areas they wanted help. Now, every leader's got to navigate that. I'm not saying that's the way you do it if you're a leader, but I just think, and I'm not second-guessing what happened to your experience. I just, it's a, it's it's okay to talk about this like you're doing, and you're doing it so kind. 
uh, Truman, with so much grace and understanding. And I do recognize how honest you were with your Cambridge bishop. It's not like you were sort of not, at, you were asking for a temple recommending. It sounds right. like you weren't temple worthy. No. You, it sounds like you're a pretty stand-up guy and saying, I'm dating men. I'm no longer worthy of a temple recommend taking the sacrament. I've even taken my garment off. So it sounds like you sort of knew from an integrity standpoint, but wanted to partic- continue to participate. So I think it's great to share that experience. I personally hope that we can, um, everybody should feel welcome. I've always felt the door, there's no belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome in a congregation, that the narrowing of it occurs at the temple. And that's where we can sort of say there's a belief and behavior hurdle, but we can just look at what Christ did and make everybody feel welcome. And not every and no one's really keeping the commandments that walks into church. It's just kind of more obvious in some situations who is and who isn't. <laughs> um, it's just my personal feeling. I and I don't want to get too much on my story, but I've been thinking a lot about the boat <laughs> and stay in the boat, which is mm-hmm. one of the themes in the church. But sometimes I think, what can we do better to help people stay in the boat? And I was on Twitter today, and someone says, "We need a bigger boat, and <laughs> we need to create a feeling of belonging, even for people." So. It's just a thought as what we can do to create a bigger boat so more people feel like they belong. Um, anything else you want to share regarding the membership council? As And then the next question, if not, is how did you find each other? Because this all, you still haven't found each other yet. Right. Yeah. So that's a great summary. And I, I very much agree with your thoughts on councils. And I would just say with the, the boat thing, Clearly, I knew what the outcome could be. I knew excommunication was a possible outcome of my my decision. But to my reading of the handbook, a, a solid reading of the handbook doesn't require that outcome. Right. Which means that in my view, how do I say, I wanted to stay on the boat, at least, at least tied to the boat. Maybe my decisions mean <laughs> I'm not there entirely, but but I, I wanted to be connected Um and yet, for whatever reason, uh, without um, at least the necessity of, of policy or the handbook, I was pushed out or cut off. Um, thankfully, I can continue to attend. Attending as a member, as someone who, whose membership has been withdrawn from, uh, by the church means can't speak, uh, can't voice a prayer in church settings, can't participate in sustaining leaders, uh, may not uh, pay tithes or offerings, um, but I can still show up. Uh, and I can still think about the Savior during the sacrament and pass the emblems from the, the congregant on my right to the congregant on my left. I can try and be aware of them renewing their covenants as a community and, and find ways to participate as, as best as possible, even though um, people may assume that I correctly assume that there are challenges involved in that. And I, just to anyone who may have experienced that or, or may yet, may yet experience that, it's possible to still go uh, and to learn lessons and be blessed by participating even without partaking. Uh, I've learned a lot as someone who loves to speak. Um, it's been interesting to feel less comfortable speaking in a Sunday school class where I know that any comment I make will perhaps be invalidated by my heresy, right? Or, or taken less seriously. Um, and I've been, I try to be grateful 
for what that teaches me about the experience of others and the empathy it might give for others who feel that their voices are um, less listened to. And so there, there are certainly, I, I think the decision in my case was wrong, right? but there are still blessings that can be recognized and that come from participating despite that. And I validate how you feel. Um, that's one of the things I think of principle of ministering is to honor how people feel. And if you feel that was wrong, I'll sit with you in that. And I just can do that as, and be a faithful Latter-day Saint support and standard leaders. To me, I don't have to sell that part of my brain out to just sit with you and how you feel, Truman, and to validate how you feel. Thank you. And to me, that's just a principle of ministering. And we're part of the same human family and honor how you feel. Why do you come to church? Why do both of you want to continue? That's a little bit of a tangent because I still want to talk about how you met each other. Maybe that's, <laughs> that's a question after. But since we're on this topic, you both want to keep going to church. Um, and you've been going to church post-membership withdrawn. Yeah. And I don't think I, before I stepped in this space, I would have never thought somebody like you existed because <laughs> <laughs> I just had this feeling about everybody that, you know, had their membership withdrawn or was in a same-sex marriage. So talk about why you still want to go to church. So um, I never stopped, really. There were there have been periods where I, I'm less likely to go to Sunday school in a young single adult ward, for example. Um but I've always wanted to go to sacrament meeting and it's, um, I believe in worshiping God and doing it as a community, um, and doing it in an orderly way. And I think that it's really valuable that worship is familiar to us. I love in letters to Malcolm CS Lewis writes about how he's less, um, interested in arguments about precisely how the liturgy goes, how we worship, how the, you know, mass or a service goes and more interested in, uh, uniformity and familiarity so that worship can be natural um, and not distracting. And as someone who's raised in the church, you learn to worship and it, it's work, I think, to worship. Um, and you learn to build community in a particular way in a ward. Um, and I think that there are benefits to continuing to try and build Zion in that familiar way. I love um, Tom Griffith. <sighs> Judge Tom Griffith likes to talk about right civic charity, and there's this unique advantage—not advantage, but a strong skill set for Latter-day Saints in building community. Where that's what we did uh, throughout the Salt Lake Valley and in Southern Idaho, where I'm from, and and elsewhere, and it's what we continue to do in wards. Um, and I can go to—I've got—we've got great parishes, right, in D.C., Boston, and New York, sort of high Anglo-Catholic Episcopal parishes that I really like and have good community there, but we go to a parish and um, in many ways, as far as beliefs go, they're quite homogenous because there's no geographical boundaries, right? The way an LDS ward set, just so many things about an LDS worship and an LDS ward of having to get along with people you disagree with, all sorts of things, people that are different from you, um, being sorted geographically rather than by affinity um, is a good experience and sometimes requires patience. I mean, anybody who's active in a ward knows that there are issues that come from that. And I think that that is a really good thing. Additionally, 
um, we want kids and we want to raise kids in a religious community. Uh, and our hope, I think, would be um, that if, if it's possible by that time for children to grow up healthily um, with same-sex parents and participate in an LDS congregation, that's what we would want for them. Sorry, Greg. No, you're good. I, I think to answer... You're your, almost more active now in the church, Bray, than you were in New York. Oh, I definitely am more active now. <laughs> and you, I... Go ahead. I, uh, <laughs> Truman, meeting Truman has, has kind of helped with that. Um, his love for the community aspect of, of the church kind of reawakened that in me. Um, and we've had great experiences so far attending together, but I also feel like it's important to point out, like there, oftentimes people aren't blessed with, with great experiences or, or, or people, people having gone through what we've gone through, um, have a hard time going to church. I've, I've been there and those feelings, uh, they resurge at times and, and like there's times in church, someone will make a comment that feels like a dagger in the heart. Um, and we, we work through that. <laughs> um, Truman and I both feel really strongly that God brought us together for a purpose. I'd been in New York trying to find a companion, future husband, for quite a while and was getting so frustrated. And when I, when Truman first reached out to me on Instagram, I felt such a strong feeling, confirmation, whatever we want to call it, um, that I'd met this person for a reason and that good things were going to come from it. And from that time forward have just continued to feel the, the spirit in my life. Um, like my patriarchal blessing says I have a spiritual gift of discernment and I don't feel like since coming out or dating or getting engaged and getting married that that I've lost that gift. I feel like it's evident in my life all the time. And Truman would probably agree with me there too. Um, the, the experiences that we've had are just, we've been so blessed and feel indebted to the Lord for, for blessing us with what is kids as teenagers and and younger 20s adults, we never would have dreamed that we could meet someone who had such similar beliefs in terms of the gospel and being able to share that is such a blessing. I feel like if we weren't to, if we were to not participate in the church in some way, it would be disrespectful to God who, who gave us this great gift. So I, I feel like there's a great work for us to do continually going forward. And 
like for the listeners who are who listen to what Truman said about his story and are like, wow, like I don't know if I could just maintain good feelings after that. Like I validate your feelings because it can be so hard. Um, but there's so much good still there that can can bless people's lives. And there's still so much that we can give as gay members of the church or non-members participating in the church. Um, one last piece on this tangent I'll, I'll just say is that I, I have a really hard time when, when I hear comments at church about, there was this, there was this trending Facebook post I saw last week where someone talked about how the gospel isn't just this buffet that you can pick and choose what you want. And I totally understand that like temple recommend, like those questions are set. I'm not saying to change them at all. Like it is all or nothing to have a temple recommend, but I think it's so important to create a space where people who may not choose to fully participate in every single aspect of the church and its teachings, they still have something that they can give and, and contribute. And like Truman and I both absolutely hope for a future <laughs> where, um, uh, further things are revealed and we're able to contribute more fully, but I would hope that members of the church are are willing to accept our contributions and 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 don't discard us because we can't participate in every single way. It's a great segment. Um, I tweeted out a month ago or so just this thought that kind of is similar to yours, Ray. Maybe those in the boat without a temple recommend or no plans to get one should still feel welcome in the boat. And I just think your point about the boat doesn't represent the temple. The boat represents the church, the congregation, the body of Christ. And I think Christ taught that in his ministry, just creating table fellowship where everybody was welcome, no matter where they were in their journey. And I just think we, you know, because I want more people to stay connected to our restored doctrine. And you're actually, I think, doing a good job of that, of not disconnecting from this beautiful doctrine that has blessed your life and continues to bless your life, even though there's not really a place in the church for you to fully, there isn't, to fully participate, even in your case, to keep right. your membership. Right. Talk more about your side of the story of meeting Bray. Anything you want to <laughs> share of this part from you, Truman? Um, it just was uh, miraculous, serendipitous uh, to me. Uh I had in some ways sort of, uh, I guess I wasn't expecting to find my husband at this age. I thought it would take longer. Uh, I certainly didn't expect to find him in Idaho. Prior to that, I, I consciously avoided dating anyone with ties to the LDS church because, first of all, I, I saw all the baggage that it made me carry, and I didn't want to double that in a relationship. And because I still had concerns about uh, the perception of either having been corrupted by someone in the church or of corrupting the type of sharp, um, polished guy that I would want to date. 
being a negative influence. Um, and so until Bray had liked finding people of faith, uh, usually liberal Protestants who didn't feel that conflicted about sexuality and, and their faith, um, but uh, avoided LDS people. So Bray was like, uh, meet up, catch up with friends. And then immediately, as soon as we met, um, was blown away by the similarities of our experiences and of our desires for the future. Um, and I did not expect, I have never expected to connect with someone so forcefully um, or with someone so good. Um, bringing Bray home helped my family reconcile themselves to my sexuality, I think more than anything else. Why? He's so sweet and good and lovable, far more than I am, far less prickly than I am. Uh, and they adored him. I'm sure they had been uh, Yeah, take us so, into your parents' mind as they know you're dating men. And yeah, if we have time. Maybe so, the fears that yeah. parents have and how actually then seeing Bray, I'm, I don't want to tell your story for you if it's not no. true, but just how that seem to help with some of those fears that parents could. Have yeah. Parent. Yeah. So, um, after I started dating, I, I posted a few books to my Instagram that had LGBT themes, literature or church related. Uh, and I think a few people had, had wondered. And then the fact that I had never had a serious relationship with anyone, despite lots of first dates with women while at BYU, um, maybe had, had, um, they had some concerns and I'd all, always blown it off. It's just, I'm, I'm really focused. I'm really picky. I'm really focused on my career. Uh, I'm going to settle other things first, right? Um, so came out to them accidentally on Father's Day. Uh, we did a Zoom, a family Zoom call. And I was just in the living room with other people in the room uh, and with on my laptop on this call with audio up. And my mom made a, a negative comment about LGBT people, a homophobic comment. Uh, and I didn't think anything of it. We, you know, you just let it go sometimes when it's a minor thing. Um, and a friend who had been there approached me afterwards and asked if he could have her phone number to just to say, well, that he's gay and, and, uh, and that her comment had been hurtful. Uh, and I said, no, I'll, I'll deal with it. Uh, and so that night I called her and explained the situation from not coming out, just from my friend's perspective. And I had been conflicted. I'd wanted to come out for ages. I'd worked on a letter. It was about 10 pages at that point, pretty polished. It had gotten up to like 18 pages. And then I'd cut it back to send to my dad to try and explain this. Um, but it was just too painful. So, so painful. I, I'm so lucky never to really have experienced guilt over this or felt shame, but have had um, and I don't know why that is. It's a, been a great blessing to not have those feelings, but did have a tremendous weight of, um, if I come out publicly, it will cause them or, or to them privately, it will cause the people I love most so much pain and disappointment and regret these people who are so good and to whom I owe nothing but gratitude, uh, and honor and faithfulness. My, my parents and grandparents and extended family and youth leaders and primary teachers 
and scout leaders and I mean, all of them, right. Who, who invest in youth and to so many LGBT youth who just want to be good. That weight of disappointing them can be, um, can be heavy, even apart from other issues. Um, anyway, I, I called her out on her comment that evening, uh, and she sort of said, you know, why, why, why do you care? The, the, the comment was right, basically defended it. Uh, and then asked again and again, variations on the theme, you know, of, uh, are you attracted to women? Are you not attracted to women? Are you, are you gay? Uh, and finally I came out to her over the phone unexpectedly, a poor way to do it. I don't recommend it. Um, didn't talk to my dad last night. She talked to him. Um, And that was really hard for them, really painful, uh, incredibly painful. And then with me across the country, far away, I, I'm sure it's easy to think the worst and assume the worst based on cultural misperceptions, misunderstandings, the types of things that you address in your book, misconceptions that they would have had about what it means when I come out and not just as experiencing same-sex attraction, but trying to be faithful, but coming out as gay and I'm dating men and I'm not renewing a, my temple uh, recommend. Um, so I can only imagine their fear of rejection, that, that I'll reject them uh, or that I will ruin prospects for other areas of my life or that our eternal family, which they have invested their entire lives in, uh, will be put at risk. Um, anyway, bringing Bray, I'm sure relieve them of the fear, first of all, that I would bring home some godless East Coast heathen. Uh, <laughs> and then he was just so sweet. Who couldn't love him? Um, I, I was just a uh, God-fearing East Coast heathen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. To, uh, uh, another Idaho East boy Coast. Yeah, yeah. from, from Latter-day Saint background. And uh, yeah, just observing. What, right, neither of us had ever brought a partner home introduced anyone to our parents. And I think just seeing us uh, and how natural it was um, and our commitment to each other uh, and that we want to participate in scripture study with the family and we want to participate in nightly family prayer and that we want to talk about church meetings and attend church with them and that we want to spend the summer, really most of summer uh, 2020 and then this summer, uh, while I've studied for the bar and Bray's continued to work remotely, we've been home in Idaho again, mostly, well, going between Bray's mom's house and, and my family's house. And um, our commitment to building those relationships, I think, was was reassuring to them. Uh, it is different. My dad will admit that our relationship is less joyful than it was before my coming out. Um, but he also spoke at our wedding dinner. And expressed so much love and joy. Uh, Did both yeah. your families come to your wedding and your wedding dinner and all the events? Yes, yeah, everybody came. Mm -hmm. All the extended family came. Uh, lots of church friends came. Our local, you know, past bishop and stake current stake president. And lots of people showed love. And we were so grateful for that. Yeah, I'll just add that I I didn't come out to my extended family until I was dating Truman. Um, 
like I had been living in New York and maybe some people that could have put pieces together, but I hadn't really talked to anyone about it. But I was amazed at how my family from rural Idaho, uh, farming community, I grew up on a farm, um, that all of them responded so well. And I think like, like Truman said, it's brought, especially my mom, but everyone so much um, peace to know that we have that mutual background and that mutual hope for the future. And, and I, we, we've both been so blessed to have family uh, so loving and so supportive. It's a really good segment. I just meet with a lot of parents and you probably have them reach out to. There's so much fear as they realize they have an LGBTQ child. And sometimes just seeing the reality of their life, like your parents have seen the reality of your life, and a lot of those fears go away. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is different than what they hoped would be your outcome. Right. But given the reality of your situation and the choices and the path that you feel is best for you, um, it does bring parents a lot of peace to to see people that feel a same-sex marriage is their path to find someone that brings out the best of them. I always felt that marriage is one plus one equals three. <laughs> um, I'm lucky enough to be in that kind of a marriage. I think it's a you need to find someone that makes you better and makes you happier and and you're one plus one equals three. And I think that really helps parents. And yeah, it's complex, but it does take a lot of the fear. And the fact that you're married, maybe that fear is somewhat mitigated by the fact that they know you're both going to be with each other the rest of your lives. You're deeply committed to each other and they're not wondering about the next relationship or will it be healthy or where is this all going to end up? Because it sort of ended up. I mean, it's sort yeah. of <laughs> happened now. It's the reality of your <laughs> life. And you seem pretty committed to each other and live your lives together. So it's just complex listeners. Any thoughts on any of that? <laughs> um, I want to say this carefully, just that um, it's a continuing process. I think often parents adjust so fast and learn so much in such a quick time and become supportive of, of their LGBT children and that's a wonderful thing. Um, and then having become, having learned about sexual orientation and realizing it's not a choice and supporting their children if they choose to pursue a relationship, um, they then want much or all of everything else to stay the same. And um, there's a continuing process of, in particular, I would say, for at least the vast majority of LGBT saints, we know, um, who either give up temple recommends or uh, have church discipline, um, even when they want to maintain, even when we want to maintain ties to the church, sometimes other things cause conflict in families, particularly uh, observance of other commandments or cultural standards in the church, right? Uh, parents can feel like, it's easy to feel like, I've done so much to accept my child being gay and possibly accept their partner. Why can't um, they observe the rest of it? The rest of it isn't something that's in your DNA, right? It's choices. Um, and so I, I think, um, 
I would just encourage people to be sensitive to the fact that there's not, not a one-size-fits-all answer. And that often, having had, uh, having given up the blessings of the temple or of other observing other things strictly, people need to analyze whether standards and rules are sort of um, malum prohibitum, right? Just things that we do because they're rules and they're valid and important as members of the church who are temple attending or, uh, or, or moral absolutes that apply even when people are freed from their covenantal obligations. Right after my membership was withdrawn, the state president expressed a sentiment, I'm sure meaning well, but um, I hope this is a relief for you to sort of be freed from, from the promises you've made and able to, I guess, sort of not feel bad about dating men. Uh, I didn't find it, the sentiment particularly helpful, but I would just point out how the incentive it produces, and, and it's real, is that for people um, out of the church, uh, those things that they did only because of their covenant obligations may not feel as binding. Uh, and those adjustments, I think it's important for parents to help understand and that we're better off helping people make healthy, moderate decisions in those areas than expecting them to observe the, stand, the same standard that we expect of a temple attending member of the church. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's really good thoughts. And that's the purpose of this podcast and just people like you sharing your stories. Um, I'd like to continue a little bit. Um, even though we're going a little longer than usual, I've got the mental energy if you've got the time. Um, talk about, you know, I'd, I'd love you to talk about just talk to teenage gay Latter-day Saints. That's a pretty <laughs> broad group. I sense there's some listening that aren't out. Um, they've kind of got all these different paths. You've chosen a path. Just talk to that group and what advice you'd give to closeted LGBTQ youth or ones that are not broadly out. Yeah, well, first thing I would say is that we love you and uh it's it's such an interesting journey that we all go through and it's so unique to each of us true and i would both say that like our path isn't like the one path for every lgbtqia plus person who wants to be involved with the church who doesn't want to be involved with the church there's so many different options. And like us personally, we have have friends in, in different situations and mixed orientation marriages or, or people choosing celibacy or people outside of the church now, but grew up in it. Um, really, to those teenage kids figuring it out, I would say just continue to seek for personal revelation. And if you if you really put in energy to learning how to identify the spirit in your life and how to, to acknowledge when it's absent too, like being able to understand that can really guide you towards the path that God has prepared for you. Um, like I, I mentioned this earlier, but 
like how we've felt the spirit in our lives, in our relationship. Um, like there are aspects of, of gay culture that that's not the case and, and that I have felt that absence. Um, but there are other great things and, and I draw so much strength and peace and joy from a relationship. Um, and we pray together every day um, and, and just seek to invite that into our lives. So I, I guess that would be my main bit of advice for, for those teenagers and then people in general trying to figure things out. Um, it's so hard to generalize and I want to be careful, I guess what I would say based on my experience is I think sometimes current culture makes it so urgent to be out right away and authentic and, um, be able to enjoy the full range of, of, uh, feelings and relationships that, that are available, um, right away. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm, only 26. And so it's easy, right in the, the grand scheme of things, maybe I jumped the gun and, and did things too early. Um, but, and, and I'm not encouraging people to stay closeted. I guess I would just say life is long and um, taking time to process and think about and really internalize and work through and read the research and read people's experiences and study historical figures and gay life through history. And, and there's like, there's so much progress that can be made figuring things out. Um, and at least that was my experience that just, I feel like being patient allowed me to be happier in my teenage years. I'm grateful that I think more LGBT youth can safely come out without being pressured into therapy or um, pushed out of their homes or other things that may have happened in the past and, and which in some cases sadly still may happen. Um, but for those who, who aren't sure whether they want to take that step, that's okay. And I feel like when I finally did come out, I was ready to go. And because I had processed and thought and written and worked through emotions for, you know, over a decade trying to figure this out in private, um, I started to go, I guess I, I would also just say, yeah, find, find safe people. I don't think I ever heard someone I know make a positive or affirming comment about an LGBT person until sometime after my mission, sometime at BYU probably. Uh, and if there had been somebody beforehand, I probably would have talked to them. Wow. Uh, but there just wasn't. And so, um, yeah. If you find somebody safe, talk to them and treasure that relationship and, and uh, trust their judgment and be grateful that they're there and that you can rely on them. And if, and if you're that person, if you're that adult or that friend or whoever who can say something positive or affirming in, in such a way, mind you, right? Like, so that in the full context of your life and choices that they know it's sincere and that um, 
that it's serious, that that can make a difference. That's so powerful. I hope you can feel the emotion. Truman's deeply emotional as he talks about never hearing a positive comment. Philip BYU and I just think Christ would want us to live the commandments and and implement saying kind things about all of his children, all of our heavenly parents' children. And sometimes that's on Facebook or just what everybody can do. And I like the way you just, we can do that as Latter-day Saints. Um, And then people know we're safe. And there's a lot of ways to do that. I like this line that an earlier guest said is, let you finish your own story. And I think that's what you taught Truman is hear all these stories, but you need to finish your own story. And so don't take, you said this too, Bray, don't, you both were supportive. I think you've said both of this, people that are celibate, people are in mixed orientation marriages, people are in same-sex marriages. And, um, but I think if you're listening and trying to figure out your story, it's great to hear all these other stories, but you've got to end your own story. And I think the way you do that is through personal revelation and going slow and staying close with your heavenly parents. And I think that they will continue to unfold you your life. And if you're closeted right now, I mean, this is a kind of an odd question, but if if your 18-year-old self could see your 25-year-old self in a same-sex marriage, (laughs) would you have still gone on a mission? My 18-year-old self. I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, you know, would you have still gone on a mission? I still would have. Yeah, I still would have. Why? The, this is like an entrapment question. You're a legal uh, guy, Truman. You're going to be like throwing the code book at me. It's going to bring up some melum prohibitum again or something. <laughs> um, I just, knowing what I know now, like what I gained from my mission was so, so helpful and beneficial for my life and how I, I viewed the world and, and learned how to love people that has informed and helped me in my coming out process, even learning how to love others, learning how to love myself. Um, growing up as a closeted gay Latter-day Saint, you kind of develop this internalized homophobia. And I think the type of selfless love I learned on my mission helped me in, in processing my own homosexuality even more after my mission and, and losing that homophobia that I had as I, as I, um, came to accept things later. So, yeah, but I, I, I wouldn't like if an 18 year old kid was asking me if let's say a gay or other LGBT kid was asking me if they should go on a mission I would say it really just depends on on what path is your path. And the only person who can figure that out is you and the Lord. Um, for me, I had a great experience and I'm so glad that I did it. Um, counterfactuals like that are hard. Uh, what was that term you used? Counterfactuals? I just what did. if it had happened differently? <laughs> I guess it's not really a counterfactual. It's the same person. Are you, you know, would you have done the, if you knew, if you knew at 18? Uh, I'm so grateful I served a mission. 
uh, knowing what I knew now as an 18. I don't know if I would have had the judgment as an 18 year old, but I hope, I hope I would have gone. Yes. Yeah. Um, maybe it was, maybe it was better that I, I didn't see myself as a, in a same sex marriage at 26 because it prompted me to go. And, and because of that, I was blessed by the experiences I had there. It's just, it's a question that some of you may be wondering if you feel your path post-mission, you just don't know, or you have a feeling about where you might end up if you shouldn't serve a mission. And my general advice is to serve if you can, um, you know, because I think it'll help you. And I think you bring a lot of people to Christ, but you, like Bray said, both of you said, need to figure out your own path on that. Um, I'd like... I'd like True to share, you know, just, I'd like you both to just give some closing thoughts, but I'd love to just see if there's anything else you want to talk about before closing thoughts. I, I have a couple thoughts yeah. <laughs> while you're gathering your thoughts is mm-hmm. I'm really grateful to our joint friends, Evan and Cheryl Smith. They were the first ones that introduced me to you guys. And I think they got connected because you were in the Boston area and they're just wonderful human beings. And I know you feel the same way about them. Absolutely. We're so grateful for them. And um, I've thought about your parents. I don't know if any of your four parents will listen to this, but my feeling is you have done a great job raising two great men. And I think the things we hope for as parents are the things that your sons have become and are becoming their education, their love for all of Heavenly Father's children, that they have a partner to share their life with. It's probably not what you expected. This is me speaking to all parents that have LGBTQ kids, but I think these are sometimes the finest family moments when we're able to come together. And I think it makes our heavenly parents maybe even the most happy when we can come together as a family in our differences and and keep the family circled together. There was a headline in the Desert News I wrote down, family ties are more important than always being right. And I just love that's an art. I just haven't read the article of the Desert News, but I love the principle that that's teaching the importance of the family circle and keeping the family together. And a credit to your parents for deciding to do that. Credit to you too for. I love that you were in Idaho during this whole time and they got to meet <laughs> both of you and both families and the fear that's maybe wondering about how this is all going to work out when the reality of um, the situation and a lot of that fear went away. So I I just recognize two great men that have had wonderful parents. And I hope in some ways this is a payday to hear your, your sons talk, um, the men they are and the insights they have and the way to bring us together. Um, that's I'll just turn it back to e- either of you for closing comments as long as you want to go. Thanks, Richard. Um so grateful for good parents. I, thinking back over what I've said in the last what hour and a half, um, I just want to clarify how I'm amazed at how quickly my parents made adjustments and learned and expressed love and built confidence and processed ideas and feelings that I dealt with over a decade. Uh, and somehow they got from my coming out in June of 20. 19 to being ready to celebrate joyfully with us and give speeches expressing love and support at our wedding in June 2021. And I'm so grateful for their love, their commitment to living the gospel, 
and their decision to, to raise their family in the church. Um, having had my membership withdrawn, I think there's some ambiguity in the handbook, but my conservatism leads me to be cautious uh, about bearing testimony in a fast and testimony meeting. And so I, I haven't done that in a long time. And there, you can show up, but there, there really aren't many opportunities to vocally bear testimony in a church setting. This isn't a church setting, thankfully. Uh, so if it's all right, um, please, I'd like to say that I continue to believe that uh, in God, our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Parents, that they love every one of their children. In Jesus Christ, our healer. That through his atonement, yes, we can be redeemed and saved, but healed from, uh, healed from imperfections and freed from pain. Um, I'm so grateful for the teachings of the restoration of Prophet Joseph Smith and of others. I continue to be deeply impacted by their thinking and writing and preaching as interpreted by later saints and their contemporaries. And they have big ideas and I'm inspired by the flexibility and range uh, of which our theology is capable. Um, and... And I'm grateful to have experienced the love of God throughout my life and for the ways um, the experiences we've talked about today have helped me learn to love God and love brothers and sisters better. And that to me really is the project. That's why you go to church, because God lives and loves us. Uh, and because the project is to learn to love him better. And to feel his love. And that's a joyful thing that, that also keeps me going back. Um, anyway, I believe all those things are true. And there's so much I'm unsure of. I don't know why we're gay, why that's a thing. Uh, but I know, I believe that God brought Bray and I together. And I'm so grateful for our marriage and relationship because... Um, it's through that relationship that I've learned more about loving like Christ does um, and through which I'm taught and inspired, mostly through Bray's example of loving well. Um, I'm grateful to have seen other great marriages, mostly straight marriages in the church, where that works really well um, and where they're joyful. And I'm so grateful to be able to enjoy the blessing of marriage as well. Um, and that God would take part in our lives to bring us together and allow us to have that blessing. That's great. I'm pulling out my phone because I screenshotted a scripture earlier. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I want to say I testify to what my companion just said, <laughs> which I do. <laughs> so ironic. <laughs> but uh, no, I... I love in first Nephi when Nephi is having the dream and the angel asks him, knowest thou the condescension of God? And he says to him, 
I know that he loves his children. Nevertheless, I, I know not the meaning of all things. And I, that resonates a lot with me because I don't know the meaning of all things. But one thing I absolutely know is that God loves his children because I felt his love for me and I felt his direction in my life. And I've seen him bless me immeasurably. Um, I'm absolutely grateful for the experiences I've had. I'm grateful to be gay. I'm grateful to um, have been raised in the church. And I'm grateful that that God brought True and I together. And I'm so grateful for uh, this platform today that you've given us to, to share our story and hopefully at least offer some, some words of hope or encouragement to someone out there. Um, because we, we've been so blessed. We, we owe it to God and to ourselves and to everyone else to continue, uh, to lift those around us. So we hope to continue to do that in the future. Thank you. I can't add anything to those closing remarks. They're just terrific. So on behalf of all the listeners that will listen to this podcast over the next several years, probably, um, I thank you for all of them, for Brayback and Truman Whitney for sharing your life, your feelings, your thoughts, your testimony on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thank you.